Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. Uh, good morning, Hillcrest. It's uh, really good to be here to talk on this topic. Um, as I recall the conversation and the idea for this talk, uh, as many good ideas do, came over a cup of coffee that I was having with Pastor Steve at a set free retreat. And I asked him, Pastor, what are you going to say when you have to preach on cannabis? And he looked me in the eye and smiled and said, what are you going to say? <laughs> when you have to preach on cannabis. So, so well played, Pastor. <laughs> but I'm happy to do this. Uh, it's been in my heart. Uh, uh, I took a lot of research, and uh, more than I thought, and um, I, it I just gave me a new admiration for our pastoral staff. Uh, they have to do this every Sunday, and I get to do it about once every four years. So they put a lot of work in. I really, really appreciate all the things I learned when, I, when I'm sitting in the pew and listening. If you expected a fire and brimstone sermon, unfortunately, you're going to be disappointed uh, because that's just not how I roll. I teach medicine, and it's going to be more like a talk to one of my residents, so lots of PowerPoints, and we're going to move pretty quick. Uh, I want to thank my wife, Pat, for editing this talk. Uh, she shortened it by about 10 minutes and made me take out some amusing anecdotes, which really didn't, didn't lead to where we want to go here, so... Uh, <laughs> If you, if you get out 10 minutes early today, uh, you can thank Pat. Uh, <laughs> I also want to thank my mom for coming. She's 91, but she can still get here to, to listen to her son. And my uh, brother Uwe uh, Rinnensland and his wife Petra from Germany are here. They're just sort of sitting over there. Uwe, give us a wave. So, Uwe's kind of a cool guy. Uh, he got the tall gene from the Rinnensland tree uh, that I didn't get. Uh, so, and he's from Germany, so he sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and when we're together, uh, it's like the movie Twins. I'm Danny DeVito. <laughs> so, um, I also love this, uh, love this uh, platform. Uh, the floor is exactly like my office floor, so if I had a stethoscope and a patient, I could start to work. So it's an important topic, though. 31% of Canadians have tried cannabis. It was legalized uh, January, pardon me, Jul July 1st of 2018. About 15% of Canadians use it regularly, and uh, you're going to get asked questions about it. You're going to uh, wonder about what it's all about. Um, I was thinking about it. People sometimes give each other a bottle of wine for Christmas, and it wouldn't surprise me if someday you get a little bag of something, and how are you going to react to that? Uh, I think we all... so. I think it's important to do some of the to listen to some of the scientific research. A little bit about me. I'm a family doctor, as Pastor Steve said, have been for the last 36 years in Moose Jaw. I also teach family medicine to medical students and to residents. Uh, so I've got my College of Medicine uh, golf shirt on this morning and my professor jacket with the patches on the sleeves. So I'm I'm playing the part. <laughs> Um, I'm also a member of the Mental Health uh, Appeals Committee at our local uh, psychiatric unit, and that's important. Um, if you, heaven forbid, happen to uh, have a mental illness that requires you to be locked up in the psych ward, you can appeal your psychiatrist's decision to a committee, and uh, I'm part of that committee. I'm the medical member on it. And uh, it disturbs me um, how many of the people that appeal to us, virtually everyone, is using cannabis. and. What disturbs me even more is someone with, say, schizophrenia 
and they have been doing well. Then they start on a binge of cannabis, and before you know it, they're back in the psychiatric unit. So I see that an awful lot. Um, some of you might think this guy's very bigoted and very anti-cannabis, and uh, we'll talk about the scientific evidence behind it, all right. But I do have about 30 patients that I follow that I have written uh, cannabis prescriptions uh, for. And again, we'll talk about medical use of cannabis. Um, also, I've never used cannabis. Um, I am eternally grateful. This is, this is despite being in two rock bands as a teenager. Um, uh, I'm eternally grateful uh, that cannabis was illegal when uh, I grew up. Uh, I've got a bit of an addictive personality. I'm a recovering workaholic, and I sometimes abuse food. And uh, so I don't know what would have happened had it been, been legally or more widely available. What really uh, prevented me was uh, that I wanted to become a doctor, and I did not think a um, marijuana conviction would look good on an application to med school. And uh, so the people would light up, and I'd politely excuse myself. That is not to say that we were angels. Uh, the drug of choice that we abused was alcohol, and uh, alcohol was uh, certainly in rural Saskatchewan freely available to underage drinkers, um, and judging by the number of drunken teenagers that we see in the emergency, it is still so. So this whole thing, well, we're going to legalize cannabis to make it, uh, to keep it out of the hands of the children. Mr. Trudeau, I'm not sure how that's going to be working out for you. Um, I hope, but uh, if it's like alcohol, I do fear for, for our young people, and I think it's going to be pretty, pretty available. All right, uh, just an overview. Uh, this is what we're going to talk about. And again, it's like a medical talk. Uh, cannabis, mode of action and history, medical versus recreational use, adverse reactions, medical evidence uh, for and against, uh, some scriptural advice and perhaps some personal stories, and then the perspective and recommendations. So also, um, do not use the information. You're going to get a lot of information, and it comes from the most reputable uh, well-read scientific journals that I could find, uh, and I've got access to the U of S College of Medicine library, so I found some good ones, I think. Um, but don't go judgmentally blazing into an argument with uh, a cannabis user using the information. People who use cannabis have very strong opinions about it, and uh, so be, be, be careful, be prayerful. Uh, in my opinion, we all know someone who we might, well, not all, but many of us might know someone who's, we are concerned about their cannabis use. And um, there's three kinds of people that use cannabis. There's people who use cannabis medically, quite supervised, quite carefully. There's a second group that uses cannabis, like someone might have a couple of beer on a Friday night to celebrate a good week or to relieve some stress, but very occasionally. Uh, again, little less concern, although about 20% of those people will go on to you to have some addiction issues. And then there's the person who has what we call cannabis use disorder, where they use it every day. And those are the people that we tend to, to really worry about. And I guess my advice is to look past the cannabis at the person, uh, to look at, to continue to, to recognize their personhood, their humanity, their being made in the image of God. Uh, to cover it with a lot of prayer, to continue to interact with them. Um, and again, put the cannabis to the side, and if you get an op opportunity to talk, sure, use this information, but be careful, be prayerful. Um, the other thing is, why is this person having to check out of reality every day? Uh, what, what are they lacking in their lives? 
what what could they change in their lives? What hurts, hang-ups, and habits have they got that they're papering over with cannabis? And if you can go, can go a little deeper, uh, you might be of more help than just saying, you know, that's the cannabis is bad for you. Look past the cannabis is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so just very briefly, we're going to talk a lot about something called psychosis. Uh, and psychosis is a mental disorder where you lose contact with reality. You've got disturbed thoughts. You hear and see things that uh, other people can't hear and see. Uh, there's a joke about that. George Bush, when he was, uh, he was a very wealthy man and uh, was trying to run for the presidency and he was trying to tell people that, you know, the, he, was, he really knew what the common people out there were feeling and he said, yes, I can see all the little things that the little people, no, I can see and hear all the little things that others, about people that others cannot hear or see. And someone said, yeah, I've got a friend that can do that too, and he has to take a lot of medications. <laughs> but, yeah, so hearing and seeing things, they may also be depressed and anxious. Uh, so what's cannabis? Well, cannabis is simply a hemp plant. Um, it's, it grows wild in uh, the Indian subcontinent and in Southeast Asia. Um, you can make hemp into clothing, sails, canvas to paint on, and actually the Greek root word for cannabis and canvas is the same. Um, it's been around long, so marijuana, just so you, we, we get the definitions right, are the dried stems and leaves from the female hemp plant. Interesting that all the good stuff is in the female plant and not the male. You can meditate on that during the sermon. Um, so that's marijuana. Hashish is uh, oil from the same plant, so the plant contains oils, and the oil is extracted uh, and, and then smoked. Uh, uh, first mentioned in 2700 BC in China, so it's been around a long time. Um, a lot of, and long, long history of use, uh, they found pots from about 1200 BC in India where it had dried THC resin in it, so they were smoking it long, long, long ago. A lot of the use was religious, uh, so you have these priests of the religion and they smoke cannabis and then they hear and see stuff from that they think is from God. And uh, there's still some religions who, who use cannabis uh, as part of their worship today. Rastafarians come to mind, you know, the guys with the Bob Marley hats and the, the long dreadlocks. Um, I don't know, you know, if you, you don't normally hear from God and then you smoke cannabis and then you hear from God, is it God or the cannabis? But anyway, um, it has been used Ritual, um, ritually and spiritually in a lot of religions. Um, so it came a lot to Muslim countries because as Islam spread, you can't use alcohol and people had to use something to relax. So um, it was used um, in Muslim countries as a sedative, especially hashish. Napoleon in the early 1800s tried to conquer Egypt and uh, as soldiers are wont to do when they conquer an area, they go try to raid and plunder the, the alcohol stores to celebrate their, their victory. And Egypt being a Muslim country, there was no alcohol. There was, however, cannabis. And Napoleon's soldiers learned to like this and enjoyed it immensely and brought some of it back to Europe. And that's how it basically came to Europe. Uh, doctors got a hold of it, studied it uh, as, a, as medicine. wasn't used all that much. However, it did find its way into the uh, British colonies, Jamaica, the Barbados, uh, Bermuda. Uh, and laborers in these colonies were using it as a relaxant after a hard day on the plantation. 
The problem is uh, they developed uh, what, what we call demotivational syndrome, which is where basically cannabis kind of makes you just really mellow and really happy and you don't worry about working anymore, you just worry about your next uh, cannabis uh, smoke where, where it's coming from. Well, the man couldn't have that because the laborers were smoking cannabis and not working and profits were down in the sugar plantation and the tobacco plantation, so it was outlawed. Uh, it was considered to be no good, very bad, terrible, horrible, and outlawed in the British Empire in the late 1800s, and it was subsequently outlawed in Canada and the US in the early 1900s. It was still used by you know, fringe group, uh, ethnic groups, certain jazz musicians, uh, but not very much. Um, <laughs> um, and was finally, um, uh, was finally kind of rediscovered by the hippies back in the 60s. And um, it was increasing acceptance in society, but uh, uh, increasingly frowned upon by the authorities. And you had the US war on drugs and a lot of people who were otherwise good people got put into jail and for long, long terms, and you, you can research that yourself. Um, first, more or less open use was in the Netherlands in 1976, where they said, okay, we're not gonna legalize it, but we are going to kind of tolerate it, and this is, happens right until today. You can go to certain coffee houses and uh, smoke your cannabis there. Uh, I traveled to Amsterdam in 1977, and it was interesting. Uh, you. Uh, you walk through certain parts of the city and the smell was definitely there and the uh, less, than, um, uh, less than sober people were also around you. So it was interesting. Um, medical, there were some medical indications, there was some medical research done and in 2001 it was uh, legalized uh, for medical use in Canada. Uh, this was very restrictive. I tried to get, get it for a couple of patients but unless you had terminal cancer or MS you had to uh, basically, the family doctor couldn't prescribe it. The, you, the specialist who diagnosed your condition had to prescribe it and try to get a specialist in 2000 to, uh, to, to prescribe that. It was almost impossible. Um, a lot of paperwork, very difficult even to get if you had a medical cannabis license. That was uh, changed in 2014, where now just on my say-so, uh, I can basically uh, prescribe cannabis to a patient. Uh, the paperwork got easier, it got pretty simple. Unfortunately, some of my colleagues who were less ethical started to abuse those privileges, so you went into a certain cannabis clinic and for $1,000 they'd give you a license, no matter what was wrong with you, uh, if anything. Most of that now with the legalization has stopped, thankfully. Uh, Colorado and Washington State legalized it by public referendum in uh, 2016, and we learned a lot from Colorado, and uh, as you know, it's now legal in, uh, in Canada in 2018 as of July 1st. A booming industry has started, and if you read any of the investment newsletters, everybody and their dog is wanting to invest in it, and they hope to be the next Bill Gates and the next Warren Buffett, and their penny marijuana stock is going to be uh, get really make them really, really rich. And there's a lot of pressure, especially on the net, because uh, you need customers for these um, for the cannabis. Uh, so a lot of pressure to use more and more, uh, just even on, on social media, because people are trying to make money. Um, now. Canada has one of the highest rates of teen cannabis use in the world, 15 to 30%, depending on what studies you read. We have um, the highest use in the world, 31% of Canadians have, uh, have used cannabis, so 
we are number one. Um, just for fun, does anybody know who has the lowest rate of cannabis use in the world? Which country? Singapore. Very good. Singapore. Singapore, four Singaporeans in 10,000 use cannabis. So that's as opposed to 31 out of 100 in Canada. So North Korea would be probably pretty close too. Um, surprisingly, Saudi Arabia is at 4%. But yeah, Singapore is really low. Now, I don't know. It's a police state, kind of, and I wonder if people just don't admit to using it. Uh, I think something about hanging uh, drug smugglers and caning people physically that use it may have something to do with that, too. But yeah, we're number one. Um, so what's marijuana? What's cannabis? It's got 113 active compounds. The main ones are tetrahydrocannabinol. So... If you can say tetrahydrocannabinol fast three times, you probably haven't been smoking it. <laughs> and I suggest to some of the police officers uh, in the congregation that it would be a very good roadside stoner test. You know, okay, man, say tetrahydrocannabinol fast three times. The other thing is cannabidiol, which is CBD, and we'll talk about these things a little bit more. Um, THC, uh, tetrahydrocannabinol, is the stuff that gives you the high, alters your mood. Um, it's uh, in the system, it gets into the system within a few minutes, um, actually even, even quicker than that when smoking or inhaling it. It uh, takes a half an hour to an hour when you've been eating it, which is a problem for some people. They have, have it orally and 10 minutes later they don't feel anything so they have some more. And then 10 minutes later they still don't feel anything so they have some more and then suddenly, wang, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a problem for them. Um, how long does it stay in the system? It depends on your metabolism, it depends on the strength of it, and it depends on how much you take. And so uh, the uh, Canadian Forces Guidelines say um, eight hours, you should, you should not do any kind of work, uh, eight hours um, until you've, you've been not smoking it for eight hours. Um, 24 hours before uh, driving or handling firearms, thank you Canadian Forces, I don't want a stone person handling a machine gun. Um, and actually 28 days before you're part of an air crew or in a submarine. So they take this staying in the system for a long period of time very, very seriously. Stays in the urine, by the way, as a urine test um, for several weeks as well, which is um, why people, people working up north, working in oil rigs and things, who frequently get urine tested uh, tend to have problems with this. Uh, it's a hallucinogen, so... It, uh, you do lose contact with reality. Um, effects, uh, is this? Oh, beautiful, it's back here, good. So unusual happiness, euphoria, everything is funny. You laugh at jokes you might not laugh at normally. Um, increased sensations of creativity, uh, noises, smells, tastes, everything is more vivid. Uh, because your sense of taste is um, enhanced, everything tastes good, so you get hungry, so they call it the munchies. Um, the, the, the normal stereotype of uh, people on cannabis munching down Doritos. Um, uh, in high doses, you get hallucinations, delusions, you get psychosis. So, again, that word, psychosis. Um, one thing about it, it's stronger. This is, this is not your father's marijuana. Not that my father smoked marijuana. But, um, so, one of the good research papers on it is in, uh, southern, in the southern U.S., yeah, the police confiscate a lot of illegal marijuana and they would submit it to the university and they would check the uh, percentage of THC 
Uh, and back in 1995, um, uh, it was 2 to 4%. And uh, now in uh, 2018, and they've done this for, you know, on all the samples they've over the last 20 years. And now we're up to uh, 8 to 12%. Uh, you can get 36% THC in the Netherlands and up to 30% THC and stuff you can buy legally in Canada. So it's much, much stronger. Uh, if you really are, are wanting to be extreme, you can get up to 90% THC in some hash oils and something called, uh, called uh, butter and, and wax and shatter, which is just a pure oil. Uh, that's, that's still illegal. Now, marijuana back in the 70s and, and early 80s were there was a, about an equal percentage, an equal composition of CBD and THCs. THC is the stuff that makes you high. CBD sort of mellows that, that out. Uh, now you've got a 30 to 1 percentage of THC to CBD. You've got, um, and it's getting higher all the time. Why so much stronger? Well, it's more profitable. You know, you, you, you pay about four to five times for a bottle of whiskey, which has got 40%, then you pay for a bottle of beer, which has got 4% alcohol. So uh, the plants have been genetically modified to, uh, to have more and more and more THC in them, and, and so it's definitely stronger. Um, who grows the best cannabis in the world? Canada, you're right. We're number one. Uh, BC bud, grown in BC in greenhouses. Another reason why I'm proud to be a Canadian. Um, when you, so there were some studies done on addiction, on psychosis, on, on, on some of the effects of cannabis in the 70s and 80s, and they were actually pretty favorable. It's non-addictive, uh, it's just a nice little relaxant, it's way better than alcohol. Alcohol, you know, uh, you want to get into bar fights. Cannabis, you just love everybody, and you know, so, so it was, they were pretty, pretty favorable, however, Basically, that was two to four uh, percent THC. Now you've got eight to twelve or higher. Um, so it's like comparing my best man's 1975 Honda Civic, which it, with a 2018 Honda Civic. You know, they're both Honda Civics, but probably the 2018 is a little, a little different, right? Although the 75 one is kind of cute. Um, I guess the other thing is if you, you, you could say, well, okay, drink 12 ounces of, uh, of, of light beer, which is 4% alcohol, and okay, that probably wouldn't do for a big adult male that isn't going to do much. Now drink 12 ounces for, of 40% uh, vodka straight down, and it's alcohol is alcohol, so it should be the same effect, and I can assure you uh, it isn't. All right, so... What do we do about this? Um, let's talk about some of the scriptural advice that we get. So there is actually some pro-marijuana scriptural advice. At least people will, will, will talk about that. Uh, so Genesis uh, 1.29. I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And then Proverbs 31. Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So the whole concept of, well, if people are unhappy, drug them. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe we should help them get less unhappy. I do, I do use Proverbs 31 uh, for palliative care where we, we give high doses of, of narcotics and, and other drugs to people at the end of their life. And I think that's just merciful and it's certainly in keeping what we all practice in medicine.
there's no direct scripture forbidding cannabis, at least I couldn't find one. Um, but there's also no direct scripture on most other drugs, uh, tobacco, drinking and driving, or other things that we don't think are a good idea. There are a number of um, scriptures on drunkenness, and you can just go, go through those. I like the one, I like Isaiah the best. Woe to those who rise up early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. So, and these are just a couple. There's probably 20 scriptures on drunkenness if you, if you do the, the research on it. Um, I looked throughout the different denominations for position statements, and uh, boy, people were careful. There's very, very little posted. Probably the closest thing I could find uh, is the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, who have a statement on alcohol, and now they've added drug use among the ministry, and uh, reason why they shouldn't do that. Uh, but very, very few uh, positional statements um, in different denominations on this. Uh, a very good one is actually a, a, a blog of, from um, 100 Huntley, and it talks, has a lot of social conscience. It talks about, is it really a good idea to just have people use marijuana to forget their problems? Why don't we fix some of the social ills that make people take the drugs in the first place? It's a very compassionate, uh, nice blog. Now, our Muslim friends don't have this problem. Uh, the Muslim leadership statement is very simple. Cannabis is forbidden, it's bad for you. Why? Because we said so. And, uh, but so barring scriptures that um, directly talk about cannabis, I found 1 Corinthians uh, 6 and 12 useful. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So is cannabis beneficial? Well. We're going to go through some of the evidence. Now, it's amazing how poorly it's actually been studied. And you say, well, Volker, why has it been studied so poorly? Well, in the USA, cannabis is still a level one narcotic. So that's up there with LSD and uh, cocaine and uh, opiates and all the, the bad things. Uh, so it's hard to get. Also, um, medical re doing medical research is hard um, because you're experimenting on humans you have ethical approval and university approval and an awful lot of, uh, of, of, of paperwork to jump through. Now you're experimenting on humans with an illegal substance and uh, it's, it's pretty hard to actually get the research done. And a lot of people said, well, we're gonna give up and just uh, research something else. Some of the studies are extremely, well, they're interesting. One study that people were quoting that it's helpful in inflammatory bowel disease like uh, Crohn's disease uh, involved 11 patients for one month. So it's like, okay, have some cannabis and then a month later, hey man, did it work? Oh yeah, man, it was good. <laughs> oh, it works, right? <laughs> also, the, the kind of people who volunteer to be Guinea, guinea pigs, let's say, in cannabis trials are people who like using cannabis. So, you know, hey man, anyhow. Um, so it's pretty hard to get objective medical evidence on it. Um, compare that, that uh, Israeli uh, uh, Crohn's disease trial to an asthma trial I read uh, the other day, 10,400 patients over one year. It's a little better. Um, and some of the 
some of the new medications we use are insanely researched. 137,000 patients over five years uh, for Xarelto, one of the blood thinners. Anyway, so I think medical use, it's now being studied for everything, but again, trials take time. Um, I think medical use is reasonable. Uh, you've got to be careful that your medical use doesn't become recreational use. Um, I've seen that with uh, things like, like Valium. Well, I have this, these muscle spasms, and pretty soon, so you take your Valium for that, and pretty soon, gee, I'm having a bad day. I think I'll take an extra couple. And uh, so it can link into that as well. Um, if you're going to use it, use oral. Uh, I mean, talk to your doctor, obviously. Use oral tincture, which is uh, much more controllable than things you can smoke. Uh, start slow. We'll talk about it a little bit more. Uh, the problem, of course, with medical use is that people may choose to replace proven treatments. Like, what's the best treatment for back pain? Well, physiotherapy, exercises, chiropractic treatment. But that takes time and, and effort. And how much easier to, to use a little bit of cannabis to sort of wallpaper over the symptoms. What's the best treatment for anxiety? Counseling, relaxation therapy. Again, it takes time and effort. Um, there are some definite black and white proven, proven things. Uh, chronic nerve pain, uh, uh, chemotherapy-induced vomiting, uh, spastic movements for MS. Uh, certain seizures, it's almost a miracle drug for certain seizures in children. Uh, but funny enough, it's the CBD rather than the THC that works in those conditions. Um, might be worth a, a try in chronic pain patients. Uh, I've got about 12 patients on long-term uh, opiates for, for long-term pain. And um, every one of them has tried, uh, tried cannabis. And uh, about two of them, they've significantly reduced their morphine and hydromorphone use, and I've been really happy with that. Uh, unfortunately, the rest have not. Now, that's not in keeping with the research. When Colorado first legalized uh, cannabis, um, uh, it, the, the amount of opioid prescriptions written did go down. So there might be some, some benefit in that. There's a PTSD study in Canada that suggests a benefit um, in American that does not. Uh, so before I prescribe someone some cannabis, I always say, well, have you tried the proven treatments first? And wouldn't you rather use the proven treatments? Um, but what, what can happen? One, demotivational syndrome. You want to do less and less in life and just mo use more and more cannabis. Um, weight gain. Oh, boy. Yeah, people do gain weight on it. People, I see people a little heavier every time after they come in for, for checkups. Driving uh, impairs the function in driving. Um, anxiety when it wears off. Um, drug interactions. Most people with chronic illnesses are on other things, and a lot of the interactions of how it interacts with other things haven't really been studied um, all that well. So there's a lot of great territory there. Keep away from children. Um, in Colorado, when it was first legalized, uh, the amount of uh, emergency visits of small children eating grandma's cannabis cookies uh, went up, um, doubled, and we've seen some of that here as well. Uh, so two things, small children eating the oral stuff and trying it out, and your teenagers trying to uh, use it recreationally. Uh, who should absolutely positively not use it? Anybody under 25, I know that for young people, they, they just don't believe this because they think they, their brain's completely developed, but uh, the brain does not complete development until 25. Uh, there's changes uh, in the brains of young users four to five times the risk of mental illness. 
higher risk of addiction, you lose 8 to 10 IQ points. Um, anybody with a history of alcohol or drug addiction should definitely not use it because they're going to get into, into addiction. Anybody with, a men with mental illness or a family history of mental illness shouldn't use it. And uh, pregnancy. Um, some alternative cannabis practitioners uh, think it's great for morning sickness, but it does uh, go through the placenta to the baby, gets out the breast milk as well. So uh, definitely that's a bad idea. So is it addictive? Um, this is the government of Canada. This is actually a, this cost me $100 to, to make this picture. Um, when the cannabis store opened, I actually went in to have a look around. I made sure nobody from Hillcrest was watching and <laughs> none of my patients were watching, but I, I bought a bottle of this oil, took the picture, then, then discarded the oil and poured it down the sink. Uh, but it says clearly cannabis can be addictive up to half of the people who use it on a daily basis uh, are going to have problems socially, medically, uh, or at work. Um, so this is just the, the, the statistics here again. 50% of people who, who, ha who use it daily are going to go on to have what's called cannabis use disorder where their lives basically revolves around the drug. Um, is it beneficial? Well, uh, you've got twice the risk. Long-term users, daily users, have twice the risk of a car accident. Um, there's five times the chance of higher manic episodes where you lose contact with reality. There's an interesting condition called cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. When it wears off, you start to vomit and you can't stop. You've got to go to the emergency and have intravenous fluids and a bunch of medications. Uh, reduced brain function in a large study uh, of actually Swedish army recruits, which is interesting. Um, anxiety, again, it may improve on cannabis, but it'll... it'll uh, get a whole lot worse when the cannabis wears off. Actually, when I see someone in the office with anxiety disorder, um, I ask about cannabis use almost right away. So, but CBD is safe, eh? And um, CBD, remember, is the brother of THC. It's, it works on receptors. By the way, I didn't get into this. How does cannabis work anyways? Well, cannabis gets into the brain and the nerve tissue has receptors and it's like the lock to a key and the cannabis molecule is the key and when the lock when the key hits the lock there's a release of something called dopamine and dopamine is the feel-good chemical so basically any any addiction your body's craving craving dopamine so anything from the harder drugs to cannabis to tobacco to alcohol to chocolate covered donuts to long walks in the park all release the feel-good hormone, and it all depends on what way you want to release it. But um, yeah, so CBD also has receptors, and CBD seems to be the system that helps in healing, and it helps in, in calmness, and it mitigates some of the, the mental health effects that, uh, that uh, THC does. Um, it's being used for almost everything. You can now, now buy a burger with CBD oil in, in the States. Um, the use is pretty, the, 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 the amount needed to do a benefit is pretty high, between 150 and 600 milligrams. So a lot of studies, and I think it might be very promising actually, but again, you're going to find CBD uh, supplements sold to you pretty much everywhere, and a lot of them are placebos. Like you get three milligrams of, t of CBD, it's, you know, it won't do you any harm, but it won't do you any good. Having said that, it's pretty safe, it doesn't make you high. Uh, it does interact with some, uh, with some medications, including blood thinners, which a lot of seniors are on. So if grandma takes it for her arthritis, uh, it may interact with her blood thinners, uh, like warfarin. 
Lots of studies needed. Um, okay, I'll let, I'll let you read this. I'm going to get into an area just um, a little bit. So, Jesus in the Bible healed a lot of people that had some really unusual behaviors. And uh, with our the, the, the people who wrote the Bible didn't know about schizophrenia. They didn't know about epilepsy. And so, no doubt, some of these conditions were, were probably things like epilepsy. It still makes the healing, the healing real. Um, but to this day, there are things that I think medical science and psychiatry, if we're honest with ourselves, can't explain. Why do two people go into a school in Columbine and kill 20 of their classmates? Why do people sit in front of a a slot machine wearing adult diapers because they just can't st stop the slot machine. Why does the why is the success rate uh, from Teen Challenge um, addiction rehab, which has a high spiritual component, so so high? So, if we believe in angels, we we might have to believe in harmful spirit spiritual forces. Um, and I just want to say I want to keep my guard up. Uh, I don't want to be influenced by any spiritual forces that I don't understand, but, but which might hurt my, my life. So uh, the hypothesis would be that if you lose control, that uh, you open yourself up to, to some of these forces. And uh, I don't want to do that. So here's the summary. Um, it's amazing. Uh, 35 minutes has gone by, and I'm still not done. Um, so why don't why won't you see it at the, why won't you see me at the cannabis store? And again, you all have to make your own decisions about this, and you might disagree with me, and I respect that. Um, but this is this is me, anyways. So I can't afford to risk addiction. I'm not going to be mastered and have my life dominated by by, by a substance. Um, I can't do, afford to lose touch with reality for 36 hours. I need my brain, and uh, a lot of people depend on my brain. Sure, I suppose I could take. A, a recreational cannabis puff on a Friday night and be okay to work Monday morning, but I can't have that guaranteed, so I'm just not going to risk it. Um, I'm unwilling to let down my spiritual guard to uh, harmful spiritual influences. Um, I'd rather receive my dopamine rush in uh, healthy, productive ways, and believe me, it's moose jaw. Everyone's watching you. Everyone's watching everyone. More people in leadership, no doubt, but people are watching you, and why not be a good influence? Why not encourage people to do things that are really, really helpful? So this is, Pat and I have matching big coffee cups. And this is, we're going to take our favorite drug in, in the morning, um, accompanied by some conversation. So you see you've got a V and a P, and these are our, our, our coffee mugs. And uh, that's just before breakfast. We have a nice talk, and we have a cup of coffee. And all the people go, oh, they're so cute, the old people. <laughs> but we do it, honestly, trying to do it for the glory of God. Okay, I think I've got five minutes. Um, this is going to be the lightning round of Jeopardy. So we talked about cannabis increasing your dopamine levels and giving you a dopamine rush and about getting the dopamine rush in healthy ways. So what are some ways to increase your dopamine in, in healthy ways? Uh, first is prayer meditation. I'm part of one of the prayer teams and have, and I find that after about 10 minutes of prayer, there's a, a peaceful, happy feeling that comes. And if you don't get that, maybe you just have to pray a little longer. And yes, that's Holy Spirit, but that's also, that's also dopamine. And uh, you can also get it through things like meditation and mindfulness. But 
These relaxation things uh, do increase it, definitely. Again, my favorite one's prayer. Uh, exercise. We know that exercise increases dopamine levels. The runner's high is actually partly CBD that the body makes. Um, Long-term increased use keto diets actually good. Um, less less fat, um, less carbos, more protein. However, if you want a short dopamine uh, rush, uh, chocolate-covered donuts, pizza, comfort food, you know these sort of things will will, will actually give you a, a short-term rush. Um, more large amounts of sleep, good night's sleep, you feel good in the morning. Um, Sunlight. So my favorite thing is, is I, I go for a walk on a beautiful day. I get nature, I get sunlight, I get a little bit of meditation and prayer. It's all good. Supplements. Um, dopamine is made with B vitamins, iron, and vitamin D. So that doesn't, doesn't hurt to increase the, the dopamine level. Music. Beautiful music this morning as usual. Participating in music or listening to music gives you about a 9% dopamine increase. Uh, expecting positive outcomes. I c I'm so happy before I go on a trip because I'm expecting to have lots of fun on the trip and enjoying the traveling. But also standing on God's word, thinking about some of the promises that God's given us increases the dopamine. Um, active listening. Uh, Pastor Steve talked last week about couples being studied and you know the couple's just there in this room and the one partner says, hey, look, there's a bird. And a good partner will say, oh, what kind of bird was it? What color was it? Is it still there? What's your favorite bird? And that conversation increases the dopamine level for about three hours in both the speaker and the listener. I think it's one of the reasons why small, group, uh, small groups in this church are such a good idea. You get lots and lots of these conversations along with prayer, along with, uh, with that. Uh, giving. Uh, after you've done something for someone, after you give something to someone, uh, dopamine levels increased. And that's all. Thank you for listening. I'll turn it over to Pastor Steve.